This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we begin with a visit with Dennis Day. You know, I can never think about him or hear him without thinking of my mother, Kitty Proctor. She loved Dennis Day. Now, she had a beautiful voice herself, so it's easy to understand the attraction to a guy who possessed this wonderful Irish tenor voice. Couple that with the fact that she was raised in the east end of Toronto with very heavy Irish roots, and you've got a major fan. And on St. Paddy's Day, it would be a regular thing to hear Dennis Day and Clancy lowered the boom blaring from the radio. So with thoughts of my mom, here's a Dennis Day episode first aired in 1947 entitled Dennis Sells Insurance. to you by Colgate Dental Cream and Luster Cream Shampoo. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. Luster Cream, the cream shampoo for true hair loveliness. <laughs> the Dennis Day Show with Barbara Eiler, B. Benadera, Dink Trout, John Brown, Charles Dant in the orchestra, and yours truly, Vern Smith is written by Frank Galen and stars our popular young singer in A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Here's Dennis singing, Who Put That Gleam in Your Eye? Who put that dream in your eye? And who put that song in your side? Who makes you thrill through and through? Who is that lucky guy I wish I knew? Please tell me who put that spring in your wall? And who put that lilt in your tall? 
As you know, our young hero, Dennis Day, has been working at the Willoughby store in Weaverville for the past year and a half. Of course, his job isn't a very good one. The hours are long, the work is hard, and about the only thing you can say for it is that Mr. Willoughby doesn't pay him what he's worth, which is a break for Dennis. (laughs) But evidently, the flame of ambition burns brighter in our hero than we had guessed, for it seems that Dennis... Well, let's look in at the Anderson living room where he's been telling his girlfriend, Mildred, some rather startling news. Oh, Dennis, it's just marvelous. Another job in your spare time. Yeah. But how did you happen to pick the insurance business to go into? Well, it's the best business there is. I figured it out. More people do it than anything. Do what? Die. (laughs) Well, that's true. But do you know anything about insurance? Oh, I've been studying it for weeks. Believe me, I've been using my brain. Well, why didn't you tell me about it before? Oh, I didn't want to worry you. Oh, I see. Gosh, I sure hope I can make a success of this. If I do, I'll feel free to speak to your mother. Why, darling, you mean about me? About anything. I'll just feel free to speak to her. (laughs) Oh. Well, you'll make a success of it, Dennis. I know you will. Sure, why not? I'm getting to know people here now, and they're getting to know me, too, and... Say, that may be why not. Dennis, you're not losing your self-confidence again, are you? When you're me, it's no trick at all. (laughs) Well, you've got to change, then. And now, what have you done about getting prospects to sell insurance, too? Well, I've left little pamphlets around here and at the store. Pamphlets? Yeah, the firm puts them out. People read them and start thinking about insurance, and then I come along and... Oh, good morning, Mr. Anderson. Good morning, my son. Mildred, my dear. Good morning, Daddy. Sleep well? No, I didn't close my eyes all night. (laughs) Look at these folders someone left on my dresser last night. Oh, those? Yes. Just listen to these titles. You may be a heavy burden to six men in dark suits, but why be one to your family? (laughs) Well, you see, Mr. Anderson... And, And this one. When you're ready to go, will the going be good? (laughs) Makes you stop and think, doesn't it? Yes, but hardly the kind of thoughts I like to dwell on. Well, I'm afraid I'm responsible for those folders, Mr. Anderson. You see, I've gone into the insurance business in my spare time. Oh, so that's it. Well, lots of luck, my boy. But you'll need more than just a few folders to sell insurance. Oh, Dennis has a marvelous sales talk all worked out, Daddy. Yeah, a really subtle one. All I need is a little practice and I'm all set to go. Well, suppose you practice on me, son. Now, we'll pretend that I'm a prospect and you're trying to sell me some insurance, okay? Oh, you bet. Well, well, well. Good morning, sir. How are you feeling this lovely morning? Fine, thank you. Really? You look horrible. (laughs) What? If you last two more months, I'm the king of Siam. (laughs) Dennis, is that what you call subtle? You have to make some conversation first. Pass the time of day with the man. Oh, I see. Now, let's try it again. 
How do you do, young man? How do you do, sir? Well, well, here it is, nine o'clock in the morning. It is? Yep. Wonder how many people died last night. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, Dennis. No? Certainly not. You can't talk about things like that. Well, I gotta introduce the subject, don't I? I gotta let him know that if he passes away tonight, his widow should be happy as a lark tomorrow. <laughs> Son, I wish you all the luck in the world in your new business, and I doubt it from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> and now, if you'll excuse me, I have my housework to do. Good day, kid. Gosh, I didn't make any headway with even pretending. And I thought he might really buy some insurance from me, too. Dennis, you know Daddy couldn't buy anything even if he wanted to. Why, as soon as he gets his money every week, Mother's got it. Gee, you mean she goes through his... Now I'm being silly. She's got them on. <laughs> uh, of course. If you want to sell any insurance in this family, my mother's your only prospect. Well, there goes this family. Well, not necessarily. Suppose you flattered her a little. She's very susceptible to it, you know. I should flatter her? Sure. Spread it on thick about her beauty and charm. It's worth a try, isn't it? Well, gee, Dennis, Mother, your I... only chance is to soften her up. Gee, do you think softening up will be enough? In my case, she'd have to be absolutely tenderized. <laughs> I'm sure you'll think of it. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Mother. Dennis. Mrs. Anderson, don't move. Just stand there and let me drink you in. <laughs> What did you say? What glorious radiance. You're a vision of loveliness from the top of your dainty brown head to the bottom of your big, strong white feet. (laughs) Dennis, I... You great, big, gorgeous hunk of dreamboat, you... (laughs) Why, Dennis, you... You really think I'm attractive? I should be painted and perhaps photographed. <laughs> Do you agree? Oh, yes, ma'am. You'd photograph fine if you were painted. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, that didn't come out right. What I meant was... <laughs> you were just made to be photographed. Why, well, you belong on the screen. The most beautiful mother in the movies. Oh, well, that's different. <laughs> the Irene Dunn type, huh? Exactly. You'd be just perfect as her mother. <laughs> Oh, I would, would I? Mother, Dennis didn't mean that the way it sounded. I say he did. And I'll thank him to drop dead at his earliest convenience. (laughs) Oh, Dennis. Yeah, I know. Gina, I was going great till I got going. Well, that leaves you only one prospect, Mr. Willoughby. You'll just have to go down to the store and get him in a good mood. Now, let's see. What makes him happiest? For me not to go down to the store. (laughs) Well, you are going down, and I'm going to help you. Yeah? Look, I went to school with a boy named Austin Peterson. We used to call him Stinky, and he's now selling insurance. So? Well, suppose he called on you at the store, and you pretended to buy insurance from him in front of Mr. Willoughby. Just pretended? Well, naturally. But Mr. Willoughby would be so impressed by an underpaid person like you buying it that he'd be right for some himself. Say... For once, I think one of your ideas is going to work. Of course. 
But before Austin gets there, you've got to butter up Mr. Willoughby the same way you did Mother. Uh-huh. Only for heaven's sakes, this time don't go as far. Oh, okay, I'll forget that stuff about him making a beautiful screen, Mother. <laughs> think I can sell this, Dennis Day, some insurance, Uncle Homer? Just as sure as your name is Richard Willoughby, my boy. He's been leaving insurance folders all over the store, so I know he's interested. Gosh, I don't know. Nothing ever happened with any of my other prospects. All your other prospects got away because they outsmarted you. This time, you're evenly matched. (laughs) Gee, imagine. Yes, I know. It's hard to. (laughs) What's more, I'm going to help you. I'm going to flatter the lad for you so he's in a mood to buy. Flatter him? Well, sure. That's the way... Oh, here he comes. Quick, duck out of sight for a couple of minutes. Okay. Dennis, my dear, dear son, good morning. Mr. Willoughby, don't move. Just stand there and let me drink you in. (laughs) What did you say, Dennis? You're the grandest, loveliest boy I've ever known. And you're the finest, sweetest man, Mr. Willoughby. I don't know anyone I'd rather mop a floor for. (laughs) Dennis, I don't know anyone I'd rather have mop it. You've given me a magnificent floor to work on, Mr. Willoughby. Knees like yours deserve the best, Dennis. (laughs) You're good, Mr. Willoughby. You're fine. You're considerate. You're loyal. You're sweet. You're sincere. You're pure. You're... You're wholesome. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to wait for my turn. <laughs> That's quite all right. I'd forgive you anything, Dennis. And I love you, Mr. Willoughby. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, Mr. Day? Yes? How do you do? I happen to be an insurance man, and I... Oh, the fellow... Mil- I mean, uh, How are you, Stinky? Beg Pardon? I said, how are you, Stinky? Well, I guess the customer's always right. (laughs) Fine, thanks. Good. Uh, What can I do for you, old man? Oh, stick around, Mr. Willoughby. Well, I was wondering if you'd be interested in a life insurance policy. Sure, I'll take it. It's a wonder... Huh? (laughs) Sign me up for $1,000. You talk me into it. What did I say? I'd like to remember it. (laughs) It wasn't so much what you said, it was the way I listened. Oh, oh, thank you very much, sir. And goodbye. Oh, just a minute. I understand your firm also carries accident insurance. Yes, sir. Well, suppose I got laid up because of an accident and lost two weeks' pay. Gee, that's right. And what about the doctor's bills I'd be running up? Yeah. And who's going to pay my room rent while I'm in bed? Yeah. Accident insurance is great. I think I ought to take some. Really? I'd be a fool not to if what you say is true. Gee. (laughs) You're a real high-pressure customer. Now, Stinky, are there any types of insurance you've forgotten? Oh, I imagine there must be some I haven't mentioned. Put me down for $100 worth of each. (laughs) If I'd known it was going to be like this, I'd have sold tickets. (laughs) Gosh, I certainly do thank you, Mr. Day. Would you mind signing right here? Oh, not at all, Sonny. There you are. Gee, you sure were right about Mr. Day, Uncle Homer. His premiums will come to at least $100. Oh, sure. I'm a great believer in... Uncle Homer? Why, yes. Richard here is my nephew. You... You mean he isn't stinky? Well, that, of course, is open to debate. (laughs) But I mean, Mildred Anderson didn't send him down here? Mildred Anderson? Who is Mildred Anderson? Oh, she's the girl who perfected the revolting development. (laughs) 
Dennis, will you stop carrying on? So it isn't my fault Austin Peterson was out of town. Well, what are we going to do, Mildred? I'm stuck for $100 worth of insurance premiums. Golly, if you could only sell mother insurance for the whole family, you could earn that much in commissions. Dennis, we've got to think. Oh, what's the use, Mildred? I'd be better off if I'd just give up and go out and throw myself under a truck. Why, Dennis, that's it! <laughs> Just to sell some insurance, you would let my lovely white body be mangled? I don't mean a real accident, silly. Well, just pretend there's been one. When Mother sees you all bandaged up, she'll realize it could have happened to her, and she'll buy some insurance. Oh, well, if you think she won't suspect... Of course she won't. And even if she does catch on, we'll just work the fake injury trick on someone else. Don't be silly. If she catches on, the injuries won't be a fake. (laughs) Oh, well, get out the bandages. You look perfect, Dennis. Don't you think we've overdone it a little? Shouldn't there be a little hole I could talk out of? Oh. <laughs> well, here, I'll push some of it aside. There. Oh, Mildred! Oh, golly, we just got through in time. There she is. Oh. In here, Mother. Quick, lie down on the couch, Dennis. Mildred, I just wanted to... Good heavens, who's that? Oh, Mother. <laughs> Mother, it's Dennis. He's been hurt. Hurt? Badly? Oh, <laughs> oh Dennis. Speak to me. How did it happen? I I was crossing a street when suddenly a 20-ton truck came bearing down on me at 80 miles an hour and hit me head on. <laughs> Good. Yes, ma'am. My face is all scratched. <laughs> Your face is scratched? Oh, it's much worse than that, Mother. He's delirious. He doesn't know what he's saying. Oh, my. Is the pain dreadful, Dennis? Terrible. And no insurance at all. Oh, dear, to be seriously injured in a strange town so far from your home. Yeah, with no insurance. (laughs) How much you must wish that you had your mother here at a time like this. I'll say, and a few dollars worth of insurance. (laughs) You see, Mother, he has no insurance. Yes, I was beginning to suspect it. (laughs) Yeah, Mrs. Anderson, and you ought to buy some right away. A thing like this could happen to someone you care about. Well... Mildred, do you realize that when that boy is delirious, he makes sense? I'm going to buy all the insurance I can as fast... Now, who can that be? I'll answer it. Yes? How do you do? Is Mr. Day in? I brought over the insurance policies he bought this morning. Insurance policies? Mildred, I feel a cold wind blowing on me. (laughs) Daddy! This gentleman dropped in to bring you your insurance policy. Gosh, Mr. Day, is that you? And you're injured. Oh, that's awful. The company gives us demerits when they have to pay off so soon. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not really injured, Richard. Your company won't have to pay me. I wouldn't count on it, Richard. Huh? Dennis, this time you've gone too far. This time I'm... Re- Dennis Day, come back here and fight like a man. Dennis, it's safe. You can come out now. She's left the house. Well, goodbye, Mildred. It was nice knowing you. Dennis, wait. All we've got to do is think this thing out. That's what I'm going to do, Mildred. Sit down in China somewhere and think it out. Goodbye. (laughs) Listen, 
Listen, Dennis, I've got another idea. Mildred, I'm not a strong boy. Let's quit while I'm alive, huh? <laughs> but all you have to do is go down to the office of the insurance company you bought the policies from. And just tell them I don't want the policies? No, tell them you want a dozen more. Girl, I knew it would happen. You've blown your whistle. <laughs> wait. When you ask for more insurance, they'll wonder why. They won't be alone. Well, suppose you convinced them that you'd had reversals and were about to commit suicide. Wouldn't they cancel all the policies you bought this morning? Well, it's possible, I suppose. Possible? Nothing. It's a certainty. I'll go with you and wait for you. Surely you can make them believe you're desperate enough for suicide, can't you? Why not? All I gotta do is be myself. <laughs> Have you got everything straight? Exactly what you're to say? Yeah, I think so. I've even got a little idea of my own I might try, too. Oh, Dennis, and up to now I was so confident. Well, don't worry. I may not have to use it. But what is... Shh, the fellow might hear you. Well, here I go. How do you do, sir? Hello. I'm Dennis Day, the fellow who bought those policies from your company yesterday. Oh, yes, sir. And what can we do for you today? Well, I'd like another $100,000 worth of life insurance. A $100,000 worth? Pretty suspicious, huh? Why, not at all. Uh, Just a moment till I locate my rate book. Oh, no hurry. I got no place to go. My house burned down yesterday. Really? Let's see now. Too uh... bad, too. I think my wife was in it. I haven't seen her all day. annuity book. Yeah, that's the way it's been going lately. Yesterday, little Eloise got to playing with my razor. Darned if she didn't cut her dear little face. Oh? Clear off. <laughs> little things, but they add up. Make a fellow pretty unhappy. I know that book is here someplace. Oh, take your time. I'll be alive for minutes yet. Ah, here we are. And uh, Now, let's see. Uh, your age is 22, I believe. Yeah, the oldest anyone in my family ever lived to be. How's that? My grandfather killed himself when he was 17. I knew him only slightly, of course. (laughs) What? Yeah. Uncle George went young, too. Hung himself from the ceiling one evening with his head in the gas oven. (laughs) Yeah, then he stabbed himself in the heart, put a bullet through his brain. When we found him, he was a pretty sick boy. (laughs) Your, Your whole family were suicides? Starting to wake up, huh? But surely you're not that sort of a person. Oh, no? See this? A gun. Mr. Day, put that down. I'm going to blow out my brains right after you give me that $100,000 policy. After? Mr. Day, that isn't ethical. But I can't leave my little ones with just these small policies I bought yesterday. Here, give me those policies. Hey! There. My goodness, if you're not going to live, we don't want you holding our policies. The home office hates that. (laughs) Well, thanks, old man. So long. Dennis, did you... Dennis, that gun! What are you doing with it? Oh, that was a little idea I had, Mildred. The convincer. I put it to my head and started to press the trigger. Then he believed me. But Dennis, I... Oh, don't worry. It's only your father's old trophy pistol. But he didn't know it wasn't loaded and couldn't fire even if it was. See? Even if I pulled the trigger all day like this, it would Dennis! Ooh, what I nearly blew out. <laughs> the orchestra, here's Dennis singing Cole Porter's Begin the Begin. When they begin the begin 
like a sound of music so tender. It brings back an eye of tropical splendor. It brings back a memory evergreen. I'm with you once more under the stars. And down by the shore, an orchestra's playing. And even the pond seems to be swaying. When they begin the beginning, live it again, it's past all and devil. Except when that tune clutches my heart, and there we are, swearing to love forever, and promising never, never to part. What moments divine, what rapture serene. And this situation concerns every American, not only for humanitarian reasons, but to protect our own freedom. For if hunger brings on a collapse of the effort to build free governments abroad, our own security will be seriously threatened. So we can help protect the peace we fought so hard to win by sending Europe enough food now. But to do this, every American must cooperate with our government, and here's how. One, 
eat no meat on Tuesday. Two, eat no poultry on Thursday. Three, save a slice of bread every day. Four, waste nothing. Clean your plate at every meal. Remember your help is urgently needed. Save wheat, save meat, save the peace. Good night, everybody, and a special good night to all my old Navy shipmates who celebrate Navy Day this coming Monday. This is Vern Smith reminding you that an interesting story of Dennis Day is appearing in the current issue of Movie Star Parade, now on sale. Dennis Day returns again next week, same time, same station. Join us then, won't you? Good night. Time now for Sergeant Joe Friday and Dragnet. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. Dragnet. The documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, this is the story of your police force in action. Dragnet! Tuesday, March 25th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant, so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the record bureau, and it was 13 minutes past 11 when I got to room 42. Homicide. That's a hot shot. Somebody grab it. I got it, Ed. One, two, four, five, East O'Haney Street. One, two, four, two five. Two officers shot. At one, two, four, five, East O'Haney Street. O'Haney Street. Two officers shot. What have you got, Friday? Read it. Two officers shot. Where's Romero? Right here, Skipper. Okay, you've got one to roll on. Get going. Ben and I knew where we were heading. We'd recognized the address. It was the Trapdoor Cafe, a joint in the south end of town that did business with a pretty rough crowd. Thirteen minutes later, we pulled up in front. Two patrolmen had the crowd pretty well pushed back. There was a cruiser car in front of the cafe. The car door was open, and an officer was sprawled across the seat. He was conscious but weak, and one of his pant legs was pretty red. Hello, Sergeant. Hi. How you doing? I've done better. Yeah, well, what happened? Williams and I were cruising. They've been keeping an eye on this cafe lately. Tonight we decided to take a look. And just as we went in, two guys left in a hurry. The back door. We followed them out into the alley. It was dark out there and I called to them. I said, hey, fellas, just a minute. I want to talk to you. They stopped? I'll say. One of them whirled. He had a gun in his left hand. He shot both of us. Left hand, huh? Williams went down and out. I went down, but I took a shot at them. No effect. And I started crawling out here to the car so I could call in. You started crawling? Yeah. Wait a minute, Emerson. Weren't there any people around by that time? Oh, yeah. Quite a few ran out after the shots. You mean nobody would help you to the car? That's right. 
Did you get a good look at either of the gunmen? Well, one of them was tall. I think he was a redhead. There was something funny about his nose. That's all I saw. It's too dark out there. Williams was closer. I think he got a good look. Joe, the other officer, Williams, he's in pretty bad shape. Is he breathing? He's still alive, Emerson. I don't know how much time he's got. Ambulance? On the way. Okay, let's round up all the men who are in the cafe. We're taking them in. We took all the men back to the city hall. There were 23 in the Trapdoor Cafe at the time of the shooting. We questioned all of them. One of them said there had been a redhead in the place, but he couldn't describe him. Ben and I left the interrogation room, and we went back to the squad room. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Yeah, Ed. Come on, Ben. Uh. Sit down. Okay. You got anything from those people you questioned? Nothing we could use. Uh. How's Williams? Pretty bad. When do they operate? As soon as he comes out of shock. Probably in the morning. You boys will be there. Yeah, we will. When the surgeon digs that slug out, get it and mark it for evidence. Yeah. Skipper, them two men shot without asking any questions. They must be hot. Yeah. Same thing occurred to me. When we get that slug, the ballistics can tell us whether that gun's been used on other jobs. We got enough of their modus operandi to have the statistician give us a run-through on the IBM now. One of them is left-handed, and he shoots quick. Okay, be in surgery tomorrow morning at 9. <laughs> Ben or I said much on the way home, but we were both thinking the same thing. I knew the chief was thinking it, too. Here were two men who'd shot a couple of police officers without asking any questions. Now, I suppose you've heard a lot of stories about what the force thinks of cop killers. Sure, we don't like to lose our friends and partners any better than anybody else would. Why not figure it this way? If these two guys would gun a couple of armed police officers, do you think they'd hesitate to shoot you, the unarmed citizen? Next morning at 9 o'clock, Ben and I had scrubbed up and we were in surgery. Williams was on the table. The surgeon started in. A lot of minutes later, he got the slug. As for Williams, they took out seven feet of his intestine and said he might pull through. Joe, here's a report from ballistics. The slug they took out of Williams come from a 44 Smith & Wesson. A same gun was used in a liquor store killing about a month ago. You call the statistician? Yeah, uh-huh. She's running all the cards on previous shooting through the IBM machine. She ought to be through about now. Let's take a look. Okay. Come on. Hi, Helen. Just a second. Okay. That's it for it. These cards will give you all the shootings pulled by two men on foot who shot quick, one of them left-handed. Right. They're all yours. Sure can tell a lot from just a bunch of little holes in these cards, can't you? Hmm. I can't, but this IBM machine can. Never ceases to amaze me. Okay, shall we check the cards, huh? Yeah, sure, sure. Wait a minute, Ben. Here we are. Huh? Yeah. Here's that liquor store killing ballistics tied the Smith & Wesson in on. Same gun that Emerson Williams was shot with? Well, it checks out. The liquor store was in the same neighborhood as the Trapdoor Cafe. Same gun, huh? Got to be. How long ago? A month ago, yeah. Ben, take the DR number off this card and let's pull the crime report on that job. We pulled the crime report out of the files. It said that there was only one witness to that liquor store killing a month ago. That witness was a woman. 
Miss Form, sorry to disturb you like this, but we'd like to ask some questions about that liquor store killing you witness a little over a month ago. Well, I told the police everything I knew about it then. Yeah, we know, but maybe you wouldn't mind telling us again, huh? Oh, no, I guess not. I, I've been trying to forget it to tell the truth. It was pretty terrible, and I really didn't see so very much because I was awful scared. I understand. But try to describe again just what happened, will you? Well, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I was walking down the street toward home when I re- realized I was all out of cigarettes. Well, I was right in front of the liquor store then, so I went in. The clerk was behind the counter, and there were two men standing there arguing. What's the idea of changing your mind? I thought we was going to get bourbon. No, let's get the wine. I want bourbon. Gosh, too much. Wine's good enough. The rest of them want bourbon, too. We better talk to them. Well, okay. We'll be back when we make up our mind, mister. Two men walked out of the store, and the clerk smiled at me and shrugged his shoulders. I bought a pack of cigarettes and turned to leave. But just then, the two men came back in again, and each of them had a gun in his hand. This is stick-up, mister. The clerk just sort of crumpled to the floor. I couldn't believe my eyes, but that's just how it happened. The men said this is a stick-up, and then they shot him right away. Get over against the wall, lady, or you'll get the same. One of them punched the no-stay on the cash register. I was shaking, so I almost caved in. He scooped the money out of the drawer and stuffed it into his pocket. And then... Then the other one went over to where the liquor clerk was lying, face down. He knelt down beside the clerk, and he put his gun against the clerk's spine. <laughs> then they both ran out of the store. It was terrible. That clerk, he was lying there, helpless and wounded, and they delivered... Yeah, Miss Forbes, I understand. Oh, Miss Forbes, uh, you said that both of the men had guns? Yes. One of the guns was black, and the other was sort of... sort of fancy-looking. What do you mean, Miss Forbes? Well, it was real shiny. Nickel-plated? I wouldn't know about that, but it was shiny. There were two guns, huh? Yes. Well, now about the men themselves. Well, I... I was so scared their faces just didn't register with me. The one who... When we shot the clerk in the back was sort of stocky. It's about the best I can do. But you mentioned in the report that one of the men was left-handed. Yes, I do remember that. Uh-huh. Now, look, Miss Forbes. This is very important to us. One of the men was a redhead. Redhead? Why, no, I didn't see any redhead. <laughs> Skipper, me and Joe's run right smack into a stone wall on this thing. What's the complication? Well, there's more than one, Ed. In the first place, we know that the 44 Smith & Wesson was used in both shootings. But the descriptions of the men involved don't check. Police officer Emerson said he thought the man that, uh, uh, that shot him and Williams outside the trapdoor cafe was a tall, left-handed redhead. Said there's something funny about his nose. You think Williams got a better look at him? Well, probably did, but Williams isn't strong enough to talk yet. And a girl that witnessed the liquor store killing a month ago said that one of those men was left-handed. But she said neither of them was a redhead. Yeah, and on top of all that, now we've got two guns to worry about. The girl mentioned two guns, so we checked the autopsy report on that liquor clerk. And, Ed, the bullet that actually killed him came from a thirty-two twenty, not a forty-four Smith & Wesson. That fact didn't get any publicity at the time, did it? No, it didn't. Okay. We won't give it any publicity now, either. Well, Lawdown, it's just the 44 Smith & Wesson we're after. Because if whoever owns the 3220 finds out it's hot, we'll never get it. Anything else? Well, we sent teletypes to all outland stations in neighboring cities. Told them if they get any red-headed suspects, no matter what charge they got them on, to hold them for questioning. Yeah. Now, how about this 3220, the actual murder weapon? Any leads on it? We've got one, Ed. 
We've been checking her records, and we discovered that four hours after the liquor store killing, a taxi driver in the neighborhood was shot and robbed. Slug was pretty well mashed, but there was enough to tell it was from a thirty-two twenty. So we're going over to question the taxi driver now. Good. Well, I think you boys are on the right trail. So far, what we've got is mostly unrelated facts, but sooner or later, those facts have all got to tie in at some point along the line. Find that point. Yeah, find the point. Find the tie-in. Well, Ben and I went over to see the taxi driver, a guy who was living on borrowed time. Yeah, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when it happened. I got a call to pick up a fare near 105th and Avalon, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I got there, somebody came over, pulled up my cap door and said, this is a stick-up. Then blowy, you let me have it. Just like that, huh? Yeah, just like that. Same deal as others, Joe. Itchy trigger finger. Yeah. Did you get any kind of a look at the fella? Look, no, no, it was too dark. Uh-huh. Hey, um, according to the report, you got shot in the chest. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're maybe wondering how come I'm still alive, huh? I'll tell you, pal, it's like something you'd see in a bad movie, you know? You know, I'm carrying a few silver dollars with me. Nine of them, to be exact. So I decided to stick them in my breast pocket. Well, Mr. That just saved my life. The slug hit them silver dollars. It's the one for the book, huh? Yeah, you said it. Well, thanks very much. Say, incidentally, we had a little trouble finding you today. You weren't at the stand you operated out of last month. Well, look, look, uh, I'm not only not at my usual stand, I'm not driving a hack no more. Oh? Look, after what happened, are you kidding? No, I don't want to push my luck any further than it's been pushed. Yeah, I figure I had it. You know? And about that time, Ben and I were beginning to figure we'd had it. We were getting nowhere fast. We had a few informants nosing around, but so far they hadn't come up with any leads. Well, Ben and I followed up all the teletypes that poured in. We just got back from Santa Ana where we'd been questioning a redheaded suspect, and we'd flopped in the squad room when Chief Backstrand's door opened. Friday. Romero. Got a minute? Yes, Kim. Any luck with the Santa Ana Redheads? No, none at all. Hmm. I guess you haven't heard the latest. We just now got back in town, Kevin. Early this morning, another cab driver got shot. What? Yeah. Man came up to his taxi, opened the door, said, this is a stick-up, and shot him. Well, it went through one leg and into the other, but the driver managed to start his cab and drove over to a cafe. He called in from there. Uh, boys recovered the slug? Yeah. It came from the same 44 Smith and Wesson that was used in the other two jobs. The cab driver get a look at the gunman. Yeah, briefly. Was it the redhead? No. Well, the stocky guy. He wasn't redheaded and he wasn't stocky. That's all the driver knows. Well, that's great. Skipper, this is beginning to sound like a guns a month club. You reckon somebody's renting them guns out? Well, they're passing the guns around all right, but I think they're working together. The way they operate indicates that. Yeah, the trigger happy routine. Killing is apparently more than a business to them. It's a pleasure, too. That's why we've got to get to them fast. Come over here. All right. Come on, then. Here. Take a look at this map. Uh-huh. Here's the trapdoor cafe, and over here's the liquor store. And down here is where the first cab driver got shot. Mm-hmm. Right here's where the second one got it. Mm. All of the shootings have taken place within an area of ten square blocks. Okay. Tonight, we're going to throw a blockade around that whole area. Good. It'll go into effect at 10 p.m. At 9.45 p.m., cars and officers started drifting into the area by twos and threes. And at 10, when Backstrand, Ben, and I arrived, the whole area was sewed up tighter than a tick. 
All set. We got a primary line and a secondary line. If anyone tries to make a break, we'll pick him up in the secondary. Okay. Friday and Romero here will cruise around the area with me. Go to work, men. Every car in the area was shaken down. The same process was also followed on all persons on foot. The blockade went on all night. By the end of that time, we'd brought in 217 suspects. 26 of them were redheads. What's your name? Henry Wagner. Where do you work? Lumber yard. Which one? First star. What time did you get through work last night? About six, I guess. What'd you do then? At some dinner. Where? Uh, Harry's Grill. And what? Shot a little pool. Look, I tell you, I ain't done nothing. Now, uh, let's go back to the day before yesterday. And that's the way it went all day long. We shot question after question at them, working them gradually back to the days on which the shootings had taken place. When it was all over, we got six men wanted in other cities on various charges. We got quite an assortment of guns and knives. But as far as the shootings were concerned, we got nothing. Well, I guess that's the last of them. Oh, I was running out of questions there at the end. You two boys better go on home and get some sleep. Well, I was kind of figuring on checking back over the reports to see if we might have overlooked something. I said go on home. You two boys have been at it for 32 hours straight. Look at you. You're both so groggy, you can hardly stand up. You need sleep. It's uh, 4 p.m. now. Don't come back until 10 p.m. When I walked into the squad room at 10, Ben was already there. An informant had just phoned in a new lead. He told Ben he'd heard about a gang that had been hanging out down around the DeVere bungalow court in the south end of town. We knew that the DeVere was close to the trapdoor cafe... So we went over to talk to the manager. Joe, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, you checked on how Williams is getting along? Yeah, I did. I called the hospital this afternoon. It's going to be all right. Oh, that's fine. Well, here we are. Yeah, manager's office. Still got a light on. Yeah? I'm Sergeant Friday. Police, this is Sergeant Romero. Yeah? We'd like a little information. Why, sure. Come in. Thank you. What can I do for you? Well, did you hear anything about a gang that hangs out down around here anywhere? Gang? Well, no. Well, how about your tenants here? Any of them ever been in trouble, to your knowledge? No. This ain't exactly the best neighborhood in town, but we try to keep things under control. Once in a while, one of them will get out of line, but when that happens, we heave them out of here. You heaved anybody out lately? Yeah, I did. Phone his wife a few weeks ago. They had a fight in one of the bungalows. She took a shot at him, but she missed. Party by the name of Stuba, Carl Stuba. What did this Stuba look like? Oh, sort of tall, skinny. Was he a redhead? No. Now, we'd like to take a look at that bungalow that he lived in. Sure, sure. Help yourselves. Down the end there, number five. Still vacant. Well, I guess that does it. Stuba didn't leave a thing behind. Matter of fact, we don't have anything to prove that this stube is tied in at all. We're only working on our arms. Hey, Joe, look. Where? Up on the wall there, just by the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that plaster there, it's newer than the rest. You got a knife? Oh, I sure have, boy, and I'm carving. That manager would be awful unhappy with me if he is here. Yeah, he would. Yeah, it might. Hey, Joe, here it is. A slug. They plastered right over okay, it. Okay, dig it out and let's hope it matches. matched. 
The slug from the wall came from the same 44 Smith & Wesson that had been used in the other shootings. So now we had a name to work on, Carl Stuba. But he'd done a good job of dropping out of sight. Well, the next day, Ben thought he had another lead. I've just been talking to another informant, Joe. He says he heard that there's a fellow down in that neighborhood been trying to sell a gun lately. What kind of a gun? Nickel-plated with steer horn handle. Nickel-plated? Well, maybe that's our 44 Smith & Wesson. Maybe. Did the informant know who this man was? Said the fellow's name was Alonzo. Yeah. Alonzo who? Just Alonzo. That's all he knew. So now we had two names, Stuba and Alonzo, but no men to go with him. So we went back to making the rounds of the substations, interviewing redheaded suspects. We took a few of them to Williams, who was home from the hospital by now, but he couldn't identify any of them as the man who shot him. Still, we kept checking. Finally, we got around to the 77th Street station. We questioned the suspects they were holding there, and we just started to leave when one of the officers called us. Hey, Sarge, yeah. we're holding somebody else you might want to look at. Redhead? No. What's the choice? Suspicion of burglary? Small job. Oh, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? What's special about him? He lives in the same neighborhood where those shootings took place. All right. Where you got him? Down here. Admit anything? No. He's pretty surly. Here we are. Thanks. Hi. What do you want? I'm Sergeant Friday. This is Sergeant Romero. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Look, I already told the other cops all I know. I didn't steal no radio from that jerk. What's your name? We've been through all that once. Come on, what's your name? Jackson. Alonzo Jackson. Alonzo. I looked at Ben and Ben looked at me. This could be the Alonzo who'd been trying to peddle that Smith & Wesson. Ben and I both knew here was one suspect we'd have to be real careful with. Alonzo, uh, according to the records, this burglary you're suspected of took place on the night of the 27th. Look, how many times do I have to tell you guys they didn't have anything to do with it? You got an alibi for that night? Sure, I got an alibi. I was out with a couple of friends, I can tell you. What's your friend's name, Alonzo? One of them's Cranley, the other's Stuba. Stuba, the guy who used to live in the bungalow court. Well, we told Alonzo he'd have to produce his two friends to give him an alibi for the burglary charge, and he bit. He went with us, and he pointed out where Stuba was living now. No wonder we hadn't been able to find him. It was a little shack at the back of a lot behind two houses. We thought it was a chicken coop at first. We took Alonzo back to the station, then we picked up Stuba. He was surprised to see us and not very happy. We took him in. Next, Alonzo gave us Crandall's address. Yeah. Mr. Crandall in? No. Will he be back soon? I don't know. Who are you? Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero, police. What do you want with him? Oh, nothing important, lady. We just wanted him as a witness. Oh. Well, I don't know just when he'll be back. Probably an hour or two. Okay, thanks. We went down the street away and we staked out in the car. We sat there for about... Five hours, and then Ben nudged me in the ribs. Hey, Joe. Huh? Joe, take a look. Coming along the sidewalk. Yeah. And he's got red hair. Come on. Crandall. Huh? Your name Crandall? Who are you? Friday Romero, police. Police? What do you want with me? I, I haven't done nothing. Well, then you got nothing in the world to worry about. Come on. <laughs> Come on. 
We questioned Crandall for an hour, but he wouldn't give an inch. Denied everything. Then we put him in a car and we drove over to Officer Williams' house. I left Ben in the living room with Crandall while I went in Williams' bedroom. Hello, Sarge. Hi, Williams. How are you doing? Yeah, a little better, I think. That's fine. Look, we've got another redhead outside. <laughs> Bring him in. Okay. All right, Crandall, come on in here. Who's in there? Why'd you bring me over here? Come on in here. How about it, Williams? <laughs> that's the guy. No, that's I, the I... guy that shot me. Well, Crandall? No. Yeah. I... It, it was an accident. I didn't mean to shoot him. It was an accident. Once Crandall got started, he talked his head off. He also admitted being in on the liquor store killing, but insisted he was only the lookout. We took him back to the station and got his whole story down on a tape recorder. Yeah, he was left-handed. Then we went back to Alonzo, who didn't know we had Crandall's confession. We met the chief in the hall outside the room where they were holding Alonzo. About ready to tie the knot? Oh, hope so, chief. But Alonzo hasn't given any yet, and we still haven't found those guns. We've got one of them. Which one? The Smith & Wesson. Stuba popped about that one ten minutes ago. Said he left it with his girl. A couple of the boys are on their way over to get it now. That's good, Ed. That leaves just the thirty-two twenty. You have mentioned the thirty-two twenty to Alonzo, have you? No. He still thinks we're after that Smith and Wesson, and that's the way we're going to play it right now. Go ahead. Look, how much longer are you guys going to hold me here? Didn't you check with those friends of mine? Alonzo, we got a tip that you've been trying to sell a gun lately. A gun? Yeah, forty-four Smith and Wesson. Ah. Oh. No, it's not true. That Smith & Wesson's been used in a couple of robbery jobs this month, and we think it's your gun. That's a lie. Any proof of that? Why, yeah. Sure, I got proof of that. Uh, I used to have a gun, but it wasn't a Smith & Wesson. Look, if I tell you where it is, that ought to convince you, shouldn't it? It'll help things. Okay. I sold it to a neighbor of mine. He gave me seven bucks. I'll give you his address. You sure it's not a Smith & Wesson? Sure, I'm sure. It's a thirty-two twenty. Yeah, it worked. We went to the neighbor's address, and he admitted having bought the thirty-two twenty, but said he lent it to a friend who'd never returned it. The friend had hocked the gun to a barber. The barber gave him 15 bucks and a haircut for it. We finally got it from the barber, and we came back to the station. I'm all set, Joe. I'll be in the next room. Just give me the nod. Okay. Hello, Alonzo. Hey, you got the gun. Yeah, we got the gun. Well... Now, maybe you'll believe I'm on the level. Okay, if I go now? I guess we won't be able to hold you here much longer. You can say that again, brother. You gotta save a lot of time for you to listen to what I've been trying to tell you all along. I guess you're right, Alonzo. Sure, I'm right. You know, you guys would be a lot better off if you believe guys like me the first time we tell you something. Instead of running. I was only a lookout. I was outside. Huh. It was the other two who pulled that one. Huh? Stuba and Alonzo. Alonzo killed a clerk. Hold it, Alonzo. Dirty All right, Alonzo, that's enough. Now, come on, how about it? What's the use? All right. That's like he said. Okay, Ben, bring the recorder in here. Alonzo's ready to make a record now. By playing back Crandall's statement that we'd recorded earlier, we got a full confession from Alonzo. We took the three of them out and had them reenact the four shootings, and we photographed it on sound film. Crandall, the redhead, was the one who'd shot the two police officers, but he was only the lookout for the liquor store killing, which explains why the girl witness didn't see him in the store. 
Stuba and Alonzo were the ones who pulled that job. And Alonzo, the worst of the bunch, was the one who put the 3220 against the spine of the wounded clerk. The three of them took turns at shooting the cab drivers and robbing them. That accounted for the mixed-up descriptions, including all that left-handed business. Two of the three suspects happened to be left-handed. Well, that was the crop. Crandall Alonzo Stuba. Four shootings, three robberies, four attempted murders, one murder. The three men were tried and convicted. They're all in the state penitentiary. Crandall's there for life. Alonzo and Stuba, they'll be executed next week. File it, will you, Ben? Case closed. Dragnet! The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. You have just heard the second in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Radio Officer Delmer E. Cook of the Los Angeles Police Department, who on the afternoon of December 6, 1948, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Burns and Allen, followed by The Challenge of the Yukon. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.